This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. He was going the right way. Cohen, all the way. Touchdown, Chicago. He goes right by. Stop it, Samson. Did you not get the memo? He came for the massage. He came for the facial. Oh, my goodness. Chicago's Game Day. Garcia's home. Hanson scores. Sox win. What a comeback. Trubisky escapes again, and he's got plenty of room to run. Look him go. There's the athleticism for the rookie. Back toward the wall. It's gone. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Good morning, everyone. Welcome on in. Hope you enjoyed Black and Abdallah. And if you don't get up early enough, you should. 8 till 10 each and every Sunday. That'll change, no doubt, when football comes rolling around. But uh, those guys will be really busy during the the college football season, if I'm not mistaken, doing a lot of stuff with Jay Hood on Saturdays. They did a great job last year, as they always do, and... Uh, so they are all geeked up with football right around the corner. We'll talk some Bears in the 11 o'clock hour. So if you want some Bears conversation, we'll get into it around 11. We will try not to talk about kickers because really, uh, who is there to talk about? We really don't know. Robbie Gold got what he wanted. He got a new deal from San Francisco, and he'll be kicking there for a while. And uh, Niner fans are happy. And uh, Bears fans still waiting. But you know what? Score enough points. Go for two every time. You don't need a kicker, do you? But we'll talk some Bears a little bit later on. It is time to talk baseball. We always do here on Sundays from 10 until 12 o'clock. 312-332-3776. We're going to get into the Baseball Hall of Famers that are going in today, the induction ceremonies, and uh, the stupidity of Major League Baseball to have the induction ceremonies when there are actually games going on. Uh, the White Sox actually play a little bit er, um, an early game today in Tampa. They get underway around 12 o'clock. Starting lineups already out. Dylan Cease will be taking the bump. What do you know? After losing seven straight, the White Sox have won back-to-back games against the Tampa Bay Rays. I guess the Rays' hangover from struggling against New York uh, continued. Uh, or some good pitching. Ronaldo Lopez and Lucas Giolito pitching well. So we'll talk some White Sox. We'll talk some Cubs over the next hour. 312-332-3776. Two really interesting, unbelievably sloppy games played at Wrigley Field the last two days. And I know it was hot. I know that the players had to deal with the temperatures. I understand that. The wind kicked up and changed and things like that. But unbelievably sloppy, sloppy games played over the last two days. And as a White Sox fan, after watching Fernando Tatis twice, yeah, he belted a home run. Everything else I've seen Fernando Tatis do made me feel as a White Sox fan that, eh, that's okay. He can stay in San Diego. Uh, he just seems like a guy that uh, has all the natural ability. Someone's got to just shake some sense into him. There was a play where the ball took a bad hop. He reacted as if he was shot by a by someone, a sniper in the fourth row. It was unbelievable. And he just made a stupid throw over to second base. Then someone mentioned to me, they go, well, the White Sox did that. Yeah, that was Lurie Garcia filling in for um, Tim Anderson. This is Fernando Tatis. I understand he's a young player. I understand he's 20. 
But um, somewhere along the line, someone's got to say, hey, listen, you've got all the natural ability in the world. You've got to suck it up and play harder. And think about it. When Javi Baez started with the Cubs, we saw a little bit of that, maybe even a lot of that with Javi Baez. But you know what? Javi Baez has become, without a doubt, one of the most unbelievable players in this league. A great, great player um, statistically wise and also a great player to watch. Um, just some of the things he did. Now, everybody talking about the tag yesterday. I'm trying to figure out if he's just so good at tags or everybody else really sucks. Now, the tag was great, okay? Without a doubt, I couldn't understand what San Diego was doing in that inning. Will Myers is on first base. Fernando Tatis is up, and they decide to bunt. Yeah, Fernando Tatis is up, and they're going to sacrifice bunt. Will Myers over. What does Tatis do? Well, you're a power hitter. So what can you not do? He can't bunt. He pops it up in the air. The third baseman catches it. Cubs third baseman Bodie. Then Green sends Will Myers on a steal. And that made no sense to me because you've got Margot up with Machado. You He gets thrown out, and now Margot's up. Now, Machado did get a chance to bat because Margot ended up walking. Kimbrell has a tendency to throw a lot of pitches where if you take his pitches... You can walk quite a bit, at least so far. Uh, we're going to talk about Kimbrell. We're going to talk about um, the tag from Baez. We're going to talk all about the Cubs. They have come out since the All-Star break. They had a nine-game homestand. We knew that it was very important for them to get out there and play the way that we expected them to play. And they're 7-1 and one going into the ninth game, the final game of this homestand. They took care of Pittsburgh. They lost one game to Cincinnati and won the rest. And now they have won the first two from San Diego by identical six to five scores. Three one two three three two three seven seven six. You want to jump in? You can always get to me on Twitter at Fred underscore Hubner. Six five was the final. Uh, Quintana five innings, eight hits, five runs. Nothing special there, but he gave you the innings. A walk, seven strikeouts. He has won four straight games. He's now eight and seven. The bullpen doing the job. Kinsler, Ciszek, Strope did not give up a homer yesterday, and Kimbrell. Four innings, one hit, no runs. The bullpen doing the job for the Cubs yesterday as they win a final 6-5. to five. Javi Baez, 3-4, for four, three runs scored, three-run homer, 24th-round tripper of the year. Anthony Rizzo, looks like he's breaking out of that slump he was in. Two for four with a couple of RBIs. Now, granted, they weren't huge hits, but you know what? They all count. They all look like line drives in the scorebook. So the Cubs get a second straight 6-5 to five win. And with the victory, they're 10 games above 500. Their high watermark this year is 11, if I'm not mistaken. So they are right now are 54-44. and 44. And you look at the standings today, and that's a good thing to do on a uh, Sunday morning. And we'll do it with all around the league in just a little bit. Um, Later on, we play some of the highlights from around the league. But the Cubs at 54 and 44, three games up on Milwaukee, three and a half up on St. Louis. The Pirates and Reds kind of taking a tumble back to where they belong. Pirates seven and a half back, the Reds nine games back. Remember, this week started with the Cubs having a half game lead and the division separated by four and a half games. So it's changed quite a bit over this week. Um, Everybody but the Cardinals winners yesterday in the division. So the Brewers got to win their three games back of the Cubs entering today's Sunday matchup. It will be 
Cal Quantrill going against Kyle Hendricks. Hendricks 7-7, seven and seven, a 346 earned run average. And look at the pitching the Cubs have been getting from Darvish to Lester, who's just stuck it out there and pitched well enough to get a, uh, a, a nice outing. Then you had Quintana yesterday, Hendricks today. Then they take to the road. Abdallah talked about it a lot. The Cubs could go 8-1 on this homestand. That'd be wonderful. Then they hit the road. They go to San Francisco, who's playing better right now. Then they go to Milwaukee and St. Louis. Their two closest competitors. This week is probably bigger than last week was for the Cubs. They, they're at home. You're playing two last-place teams and a fourth-place team. You should win games, and you're 7-1 and one through the first eight. That's a good thing. Joe Madden talking about yesterday's 6-5 victory. So, I mean, I thought our guys did wonderfully in, in spite of the uh, uh, conditions. I mean, just health-wise, neither team was as sharp as they can be. There was a lot of stuff going on, sun, wind, heat. There was a lot of stuff going on at the hard ground. Uh, and we held on, and we made it through. And give Quintana a lot of credit for pitching through some mishaps on our part, and give Kinsler a ton of credit for getting the second base on the pop-up that fell. Those are the kind of things that really stood out to me in today's game. I don't know that uh, neither one of those guys will get enough credit for what they did today. Because Q is outstanding. He never shows anybody up. He gets the ball back, he gets back on the rubber, and he pitches. I think that is outstanding. And that's a big part of why I love this guy as a teammate. He's one of the best teammates I've ever been around. And Kinsler is a fundamentalist, and you saw that today. A fundamentalist. I don't think that's exactly what he means. I think he means that he plays and knows the fundamentals. Um, but, yeah, Kinsler is a guy that knows the fundamentals. Callers, we'll get right to you. 312-332-3776. You want to talk Cubs, we'll get into some White Sox in just a little bit. But Brandon Kinsler makes a play where Addison Russell, and we'll talk about him because Joe did, uh, goes back, loses a ball in the sun, the wind, it drops, and there's a throw to second. And who's there but Brandon Kinsler, the pitcher? He's there. And Madden said he's doing what he's supposed to do. I mean, that's what the pitcher's supposed to do. That's what I'm talking about. You practice that all spring training, and there's a ton of guys that won't be there. There's a ton of guys that won't be backing up third. There's a ton of guys that won't back up the plate. And he did. That's what that He deserved uh, uh, what happened afterwards, him getting out of that inning based on that play. And, and that's the kind of play that helps us uh, or creates that moment where we do get good luck coming back because you've earned the luck by doing things right. You've earned uh, uh, the magic by doing things properly and well. And and that's the kind of play that earns that right for you other than some of the other things that we've uh, misinterpreted this uh, series. He just talked there, Madden, talked about doing things right, doing things properly, doing things well. It's a shame nowadays, Tom Waddle says all the time, that his kids don't get any extra benefits for not doing drugs, okay? Brandon Kinsler shouldn't get any kudos for covering second base. That's what he's supposed to do. And that's one of the things we don't see in baseball so much anymore. Because as soon as guys can hit, they focus on hitting. They don't focus on where to play defensively. They don't focus on where am I supposed to be, backing up a base, going to second base. when the, They don't do those things. Brandon Kinsler's getting kudos today because he's doing what he's supposed to do. That's not the way it's supposed to be. It would be great if everybody played defensively the way they're supposed to. I guess sometimes in the heat of the battle, and yesterday definitely in the heat of the battle, where they say that the feels like temperature went up to uh, 115 during the game. 
um, their mind can waver a little bit. Brent Kinsler's didn't, and he was there for that tag at second base. Three one two three three two three seven seven six. One guy that really had a fun game yesterday. <laughs> That was Addison Russell. We'll talk about him in just a little bit. I know Cap was tweeting about him. A lot of people were. Let's get to the phones. 312-332-3776. North Shore, Michael. You're on ESPN 1000. What's going on, Michael? Hey, how you doing? I'm doing well. All right. I think you kind of like, to me, I don't know. I think it's just, uh, the schedule. I think the, uh, pretty much the uh, last place team, isn't that going to pretty much give you the game where they couldn't win if they wanted to, right? I think the San Diego Padres pretty much gift wrapped both of those games away. Well, they did. And, uh, they had some. They had some bad plays yesterday. Some some strange plays, and um, yeah, they're a last place team for a reason. All right, no, and, and you can barely beat a last place team six to five both games. What does that tell you? I mean, you're supposed to be elite. Now I'm just saying, uh, once they get on the road, let's see what happens when they get on the road. They've been fortunate enough, like you said, the Reds and the Pirates going back to the position of where they're supposed to be. You know, that's what they're supposed to be at right now. They're going right back. But they have Milwaukee and St. Louis. They're over there trying to beat these these playoff teams right now. You know, and while the Cubs are uh, fattening up on some pretty bad teams themselves. So it's kind of like a disadvantage. That's why I'm not really giving them that much, that much. Uh, you know, uh, uh, kudos for uh, for coming on his hands. Because the, the schedule beat the, the schedule went, uh, went out for him this week. It, it worked out, Michael. Appreciate the call. It really worked out royal for them. But the thing is, think about it: the Pirates and the Reds both handed it to the Cubs when the Cubs were on the road before the All Star break. So this was an important series. The Cubs had to step up and win. And they'll tell you all the time: everybody in baseball, they're all busting their tails. They're major leaguers for a reason. These guys can step up and win games. And the Cubs, throughout the course of the first half. We're not playing well against the Pirates and the Reds of the, uh, you know, of Major League Baseball. They did this week, and that was huge. Now they've taken the first two from San Diego, and they got to go on out there and get the third because when they hit the road, San Francisco is not a great team either. San Francisco is a third place team right now, but they're only a game under 500. They've won eight of their last 10 games. It's Bruce Bochy's last season. They're trying to step up and play well for them. And then the Cubs go to Milwaukee, Wrigley North, and then they go to St. Louis. Those series will not be easy. So it's funny because everybody was talking about the homestand. I had mentioned last Sunday, sitting right here, I said how 15 of the next 21 games were against divisional opponents. Now, the Cubs took care of the Pittsburgh and Cincinnati. Now, after today and after San Francisco, they've got to come back to the Midwest and take care of Milwaukee and St. Louis on the road. Those are going to be huge series for them. Now, real quickly, let's grab the other call. He's nice enough to call. Let's go to Vernon Hills and Jim. Jim, what's happening? Hi. Uh, I'm I'm wondering, do they keep stats on um, – I looked at the Cubs uh, out of the top ten on-base percentage guys. They've got three guys in there. Nobody else does. Do they keep – you know, their complaint is about uh, leaving runners in scoring position, but they keep a stat on what teams have the most players – the most that players are in scoring position. Do you understand what I'm saying? You mean uh, how many uh, players get in the scoring position per day or per game? Yeah. Well, well they say that that they're bad in uh, at driving uh, in runners from scoring position, right? Yeah, yeah. But but do they have? What I'm trying to say is, do they have more guys that get into a scoring position? They keep a stat on that. 
Uh, you me? Yeah, I'd have to double check and see what it was or what it is. Yesterday, for example, what were the Cubs with runners in scoring? They were four for fifteen with runners in scoring position. Yeah, that's not great. Um, they did get, like yeah, you no, said, in that game, they did get a lot of runners in scoring position, but they couldn't score them. Yeah, no, I understand that. But what I'm saying is, overall, how do they do in comparison with other teams? Uh, in other words, do they get more men in scoring position than other teams? Yeah, I don't know. If you know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know if that's a stat that they keep. We can try and track it down, Jim. We appreciate the call. Um, they do get a lot of guys in scoring position. They do leave a lot of runners in scoring position. That's what most people are talking about because you have the opportunity to drive these guys home, and you're not doing it. Um, you've you've won two games back to back, six to five. You should feel happy, good about it. You won the games, and you've won seven of the first eight. Again, every they're all major league teams. So you go on out there and try to knock them off, and they did. And the Cubs used uh, Craig Kimbrell again yesterday. He's got a save in both of these games against the Padres. And you weren't really sure if Kimbrell was going to be ready to go. Joe might not have been sure if Kimbrell was going to be ready to go. Hot, he had pitched the day before. And Kimbrell, I mean, Joe found out right off the bat early in the day that Kimbrell would be ready. He told us before the game he felt good. He, because we were prepared to tell him no game today. And he said, no, 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 I feel really good today. And actually, there's a chance I won't feel as good tomorrow as I will today. So I've talked about this before, listening to your relief pitchers and listening to your closers, especially, obviously, veteran guys. Uh, Rafael Soriano taught me that years ago. That popped in my head. No, I'm really good today, and he's popping 97s. Yeah, he was, he was throwing well. He did walk some people. And Friday, I mentioned it, Eric Hosmer struck out in a huge uh, part of the game on Friday. Now, it was hot on Friday, too, and Hosmer looked exhausted. And what's the last thing you want to do when it's the ninth inning of a, of a close game is face a guy that's throwing 95, 96, 97 and also can drop a curveball on you. And that's what Kimbrell was doing to Hosmer. Hosmer swung at three balls that just about bounced on the plate. But Kimbrell is good now. Kimbrell will get better as time goes on. Now, we can't wait much longer than to talk about Addison Russell. Addison Russell, with his problems before the season, his problems last year, I had mentioned that I didn't think the Cubs would bring Addison Russell back. That when his suspension was over, the Cubs would find a way to move him. They didn't. Some people gave the Cubs kudos for that. Other people, not so much. My thing is, he has shown you that he can play play a pretty good defense at short and at second. And he's also shown you he could hit, but he has not done it for a couple of years. I was the one two and a half years ago, maybe three years ago, that said he would, before his season, said he would hit 30 home runs that year. He got to like 21, and I was excited. And then like for the last month, he didn't hit anything. Yesterday, and I'm going to read this right off of someone's tweet, okay? Addison Russell didn't advance on a wild pitch. He got doubled off second on a line drive to left the very next pitch. He lost a pop-up double in the sun that led to a run. He didn't score from third on a ground ball that the shortstop had to backhand and tossed his bat in the stands on a strikeout. Now, someone mentioned on the station about two weeks ago, they said, I'm not sure about Addison Russell and him throwing the bat. Addison Russell has thrown the bat since the day he came to the Cubs. There's not one player in Major League Baseball that loses control of the bat more than Addison Russell. Just a pet peeve of mine. It's like, get a bigger handle. Do something. Hold on to the damn bat. He can't do it. But 
Joe doesn't usually throw his players under the bus. And he didn't throw Addison Russell under the bus yesterday, but he did say something's got to be done. No, he's got to straighten some things out. He has to. There's no question he does. I'm not going to stand here. Uh, we've, you know, he's got to. Uh, we've talked about his base running in the past. The sun ball, yeah, that's there's there's nothing you can do about that. The base running, there's some things there that we we're making too many outs on the bases, and we're missing things on the bases that we can't to be an elite team. Too many outs on the bases will kill you, and that's happening. It's it's interesting right now because a lot of the teams that are in first, the Braves are struggling a little bit. Um, they won six of their last ten. The Dodgers have a huge lead. But yesterday, they blew a six-run lead, came back and got a victory. Their bullpen has been hurting them. I've never seen so many games where Kenley Jansen has been letting leads go late in contests. But they hit the hell out of the ball constantly. So every team runs into their problems during the course of the year. The question is, who's going to be able to suck it up and step on it here in the second half of the season? And a week from today will be like three to four days before the trade deadline. And there's only one trade deadline this year. There's no second one with waivers and everything else. It's going to be interesting to me how many people make deals. And do you still think that Theo and the Cubs are going to make a big deal? And if so, what do you think it's going to be for? Today, I heard the name Whit Merrifield, but not for the Cubs. I heard it for another team in Major League Baseball. Everybody seems to want Whit Merrifield. And if that's the case, that's bad news for the Cubs. Because they don't have as much to offer Kansas City for Whit Merrifield, in my opinion, than some of these other teams in Major League Baseball do. The damn Dodgers, they've got more young players. And we're going to hear about Matt Beatty, who did it again uh, yesterday for the Dodgers. We'll hear about him a little bit later on. 312-332-3776. The uh, Cubs... One other thing about the Cub game yesterday, and I, I got a, I got a guy, West Coast Bias, he jumped on me on Twitter. He said, hey, you should be drug tested for your take on Fernando Tatis Jr. He will be a superstar if he isn't already. That's fine. He may be a superstar, but he's got to figure out that he's, he's really good, and he's got to work hard at his game because stupid mistakes are going to have you on a last-place team for a while. He's with Manny Machado yesterday, and again, I'm taking this right from Twitter. Figure it's easier this way than writing it down myself. Manny Machado had a deep drive, stood at home plate, watched the ball fall into Chris Bryant's glove at the basket at Wrigley. If it lands on the field, he gets a single. Imagine if this guy had passion for the game and hustled. Padres fans deserve to see more passion. That's one of the things that White Sox fans and fans from around the country talked about with Manny Machado. There is no doubt Manny Machado is one of the best defensive third baseman, one of the best defensive third baseman out there, and a tremendous offensive talent. He stood there thinking it was gone, and Chris Bryant catches it up against the wall. Embarrassing to Machado and all of baseball. White Sox talk. We come back here on ESPN 1000. See Chicago's game day only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. I'm easy like Sunday morning. Welcome on in. Fred Hubner with you here on ESPN 1000. Talking, uh, we talk Cubs. And I just found out it's not going to be Cal Quantrill going for the Padres today. The Cubs get to face a 20-year-old making his major league debut. Adrian Morjan. That's probably not exactly a correct pronunciation, but we'll wait and see what Len says. Uh, he's from Havana, Cuba, and he will be pitching against the Cubs today 
and Kyle Hendricks, a 120 first pitch. The Cubs lineups are out, and we'll get to the White Sox lineups. A 120 start for the Northsiders. Kyle Schwarber, the forgotten Kyle Schwarber, back in the lineup as he will be going for the Cubs today. He is in left field for the Northsiders. And uh, Javi Baez at short, Chris Bryant at third, Anthony Rizzo at first, Robel Garcia is at second base, Jason Hayward in right, Albert Almora Jr. is in center field, Martin Maldonado catching, and Kyle Hendricks is on the hill for the Cubs. And uh, the Padres looking to get a win in the series before they leave town, and the Cubs trying to get another victory as they've won the first two games by identical scores of 6-5. to five. So um, that'll be coming up at one twenty today. And um, we'll get to the White Sox in just a second. 312-332-3776. You want to talk some White Sox. Last night, it was Lucas Giolito getting a start for the Southsiders. White Sox won over the Rays 9-2. They had 16 hits and 16 strikeouts uh, on Friday night as they got the 9-2 win over the Tampa Bay Rays. Yesterday, they threw Lucas Giolito. And Lucas Giolito was uh, very good. Six and two-thirds, seven hits allowed, one run, one walk, nine strikeouts. He lowers his ERA to 3.12. The White Sox, though, were losing because Avi Garcia hit a home run that almost punctured the the uh, dome uh, down in Tampa. He hit one so far off Lucas Giolito. It was amazing how far this ball went. And it was one nothing going all the way to the ninth inning. There were two outs. The Tampa Bay Rays were one out away from getting a win. James McCann at the plate for the White Sox. James sprays it to left field. Cam is back at the warning track. Gone! We are tied here in the ninth. Unbelievable. Without a doubt, it is unbelievable as the White Sox tie the game. James McCann with the home run. Tying the game at one, it stayed that way until the 11th inning. Yohan Moncada was not having a good game. And I think that's an understatement. Moncada, we're going to talk about him. Moncada really stepped his game up so far this year. After yesterday's game, his numbers are 304 average, on base at 362, and a slug of 526. 17 home runs, which ties the number he hit last year. 52 runs batted in for the White Sox third baseman. Moncada yesterday, as I said, struck out four times. But in the 11th inning, he draws a walk. And with Moncada at first base, in the 11th inning, Abreu comes to the plate. And in five, Chaz Rowe on the mound. Moncada runs. Ground ball right side. And that trickles through a base hit. Long way to go for Brasso. Moncada's waved around. Brasso's throw is up the line. From first base, Yoan Moncada blistering to the plate for a 2-1 lead. Well, that's why Nick Capra sent him. And the reason we've been talking about it all night, you're playing an infielder in right field because of the injury and the head first dive by Kiermaier. And that opened the door, and with Moncada running and that ball trickling through the right side, Nick Capra aggressively never stopped Juan Moncada, putting the pressure on an infielder in right field to make a throw that he wasn't capable of making. 
That was Steve Stone and Jason Benetti on the call. WGN-TV last night. The White Sox getting the 2-1 to win. Moncada basically went from first to third or first to home in about nine seconds. He was flying around the bases. Nick Capra sending him on the play in the 11th inning. And it was funny, as he was approaching third, they go, you can't send him. Oh, here he goes. And Steve Stone broke it down perfectly. The reason... They you send him is you got an infielder playing right field because the right fielder had to move over to center because Kevin Kiermeyer and you heard it in the Sports Center update at the bottom of the hour. Kiermeyer goes on the injured list because he hits a ground ball to first base uh, towards the first baseman. He's hustling and he dives and injures his thumb. Kevin Kiermeyer, one of the best defensive outfielders in baseball, he injures his thumb. He's going to be on the injured list now. When are players going to learn you don't slide in the first base? It, it, it makes no sense. It's not worth the risk. Getting to the to the base, getting a hit is not worth the risk of missing time, maybe missing a lot more than that, and injuring your finger, your thumb, your hand, your wrist, whatever it might be. Chris Bryant has done it. People have injured shoulders. I don't understand how people say, well, you know, that's old time base. No, it's smart baseball. You don't slide head first into first base. Getting to first base is not worth it. The possibility of the bad things that can happen. You've seen Albert Almora's done it. It's it it's just a silly play. You get there faster running through the base. People will say, well, I don't know. I don't know if that it's been proven. I know other people are gonna say it's been proven you get there faster sliding. I don't think so. But, you know, I'm not a scientist. Um, it was proven you can get there faster running through the base. How many times do you guys leap for the base and you get there faster running through the base? Um, but Kevin Kiermeyer not there. Because of that, Nick Capra sends Moncada. He scores. Sox win 2-1. to Colome with his 21st save. Adam Engel has returned. White Sox fans, we've loved Adam Engel for what he can do in center field. But he couldn't hit. Adam Engel had two hits on Friday night. Adam Engel had two more hits last night. That was awesome to see for the White Sox because this guy can play center field. Lurie Garcia has been out at shortstop because Tim Anderson has not been playing. The White Sox finally win a couple of games after losing the first seven games out of the break. Now, there were a lot of people that were talking about um, the White Sox should move Jose Abreu. Uh, should the White Sox keep him? Should the White Sox bring him back? Should the White Sox make a deal here in the second half so that they can try to make that wild card spot? The White Sox are fine. The White Sox are in the third year of a rebuild. They have injuries to their starting shortstop in Tim Anderson, who's improved last year and this year. He still needs to get better defensively. And Eloy Jimenez, I'm not going to say he's injury prone, but this is the second injury he's had. He's not what you would call a gazelle. He's not what you would call graceful in left field. But I decided yesterday, and if you agree or disagree with me, let me know. 312-332-3776. I came to the conclusion yesterday, driving into work, I came to the conclusion that Eloy Jimenez has to learn how to play left field. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Because you can't put him at first base or a designated hitter. Because I think the White Sox are going to keep Jose Abreu, what he does for the team, not only offensively, not only with the bat. He actually is not a bad first baseman. I know all your analytics are going to say he's not one of the best. No, he's not one of the best. But he doesn't make many mistakes at first base. 
He can throw the ball to second base. He plays a pretty good first base. He's not a gold glover. He never will be. But look at what he's doing right now, hitting-wise. 273, 307 on base, a little bit lower than he would like, and a 491 slug. He's got 21 homers and 69 runs batted in. Only 18 walks. He'd like to have that go up a little bit more. Um, But I think Jose Abreu's got to stay. And even if Abreu, you know, the reason I say that Jimenez has to be in left field is because you've got a Zach Collins who can catch and play first base. You've got this kid, Andrew Vaughn, who was your first-round pick, and he's hitting the heck out of the ball in the minors. Granted, it's low A right now. He's playing in Kannapolis, okay? And it's going to take a little while for him to get here. But the White Sox need to have Eloy Jimenez play left field because you're going to have him in left. You're going to have Luis Robert come up and play center. It's They've got so many outfielders, so many young outfielders in the system that Eloy Jimenez has got to be a guy that takes that position and plays out there. And I know it's going to be painful. It's going to be painful quite a bit because... He's going to make mistakes, just like Kingman and Soriano and Dunn and you name it. Anybody that was a power hitter that played left field, they'll make mistakes. They're not going to be tremendous outfielders, but he needs to play out there. He's made some nice catches. He's made some improvements since earlier this season. The first week of the year when I saw him play left field, I came on the air and said, this guy's going to get killed in left field. He almost has. I mean, he's, he let a ball go at Fenway because he can't figure out. He couldn't judge the left field wall. I understand it's his first trip around the big leagues, but they're supposed to be hitting fly balls to you when it's your first trip to a Fenway park. Hopefully he'll learn the next time he plays at Fenway. Those things happen. You become better. He's a young 22-year-old player. He's going to learn. He can learn to play left field. It's not the toughest position in baseball to play. He can learn to play it. If Schwarber can learn to play the outfield, I just love to hang out there because he's still learning. If he can learn to play left field, and all these other guys I mentioned can learn to play left field, at least adequately enough, with the way he hits, you got to keep that first base DH position open for Abreu and some of the other guys that the White Sox have in the system. Agree or disagree, 312-332-3776. Here is the starting lineup for today for the White Sox. Larry Garcia is in left field. Moncada at third, Abreu at first, McCann catching. Uh, Wellington Castillo is DHing. Your shortstop is Rodon, or I'm Rondon. I'm sorry. Um, second baseman Sanchez, Angles in center, Cordell is in right. Dylan Cease gets another start for the White Sox. I got a little aggravated the other day, and I know it's silly, but uh, people were saying ah, Cease got rocked. They gave up eleven runs. He gave up six, and the White Sox committed three errors behind him. He retired the last eight guys he faced, making his second start in the major leagues. Okay? He didn't get rocked. He does have a problem, like a lot of young pitchers do, with early innings. And he did it again the other day. 312-332-3776. Our buddy Jim gets to me. He says, again, I agree with you, Fred. Big pet peeve of mine. It should be a big pet peeve of his is agreeing with me. But if sliding into first is faster way to reach first base, then why don't sprinters slide into the finish line in track? Because it's slower. Unless you're avoiding a tag, don't slide into first base. Well, Kevin Kiermeyer will be on the IL because he did it yesterday. And his thumb guard popped off his glove as he slid into first base. We'll get uh, 
to your calls in just a second. 312-332-3776. This open update brought to you by Geneva National, home to 54 legendary holes of golf by Arnold Palmer, Gary Player, and Lee Trevino. GenevaNationalResort.com. Shane Lowry trying to hold on to a six-shot lead. He's at 16 under par. Tommy Fleetwood, 10 under. Then a group of golfers at 7 under par. Tony Finau and Lee Westwood. And as I speak, Shane Lowry drops another one. Now he only has a five-shot lead. This could get interesting at the Open Championship. Fred Hubner with you. 312-332-3776. Some Bears talk coming up next hour. We'll also hear from the Baseball Hall of Famers. Some soccer talk before I'm out of here. A big game tonight out at SeatGeek Stadium. Lots to do. Fred Hubner with you here on ESPN 1000. Chicago's Game Day with Fred Hubner on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Welcome back in. A little bit of Bears talk top of the hour, then we'll get into some Baseball Hall of Fame chatter. Also, some of the highlights from around Major League Baseball yesterday that you may have missed. Always on Sundays before the games get underway, I like to take a look at the standings and where everybody sits and things like that. We'll do that. And then some soccer talk. It's actually a special game out at SeatGeek Stadium today. A sellout. Talk about that. A little bit more, probably around 1130-ish. Um, get to the calls, 312-332-3776. One more thing about the White Sox and uh, Lucas Giolito, who does not have a win in his first two games since the break. But uh, you look at it, and he pitched well uh, yesterday. I said six and, what was it, six and two-thirds, seven hits, one run, uh, a walk, and nine strikeouts. Six times this year, the Sox have scored two or fewer runs in Lucas Giolito's starts. Really, we're starting this trend. Really, don't let don't make Lucas Giolito be the guy you don't score runs for. Uh, yet the White Sox are four and two in those games because Giolito's been excellent. Yeah, there's no doubt about that it. That was Quintana before, right? Yeah, Are you guys still. It's always yep. Mark Burley. They didn't score many runs for Mark Burley. It's it's weird. There's always John Garland was a time way back when the Cubs probably have had a guy too where they just don't seem to score runs for a guy. They don't seem to score a lot for Hendricks. I don't think they don't score many runs. But you know that six times this year, two runs or less in Lucas Giolito's starts. So uh, hopefully next time he starts, which will probably be against either. Miami or Minnesota on the homestand, uh, they'll score a few more runs. Let's go out to uh, 294. And Ben, you're on ESPN 1000. Hey, Ben. Hey, Freddie. What's up? So I agree with you with uh, Eloy Jimenez. I mean, we got to wait. We just got to be patient. He's an athlete. I mean, you can see how he runs, how he, he can throw the ball once he gets to it, you know, once he figures out where the ball is. And where to throw. And where to throw? Yeah. Right. I'll take I'll take the the bad with the good for this year and next year. The year after that, I'm going to expect him to be a lot better than what he is in the field. But I'll take his bat versus his difficulties in the field in I, the big picture. I hope Ben. I hope they find someone better than Daryl Boston to teach him outfield play. Bring somebody in. Let him work with Scotty Pesetnik. Let him with somebody. Let him, you know, work all off season. I don't think he has got to work too much on hitting right now, but he's got to get better in the outfield because, you know, he has made a couple of nice catches, but he's got to learn all the ballparks. He's got to learn where to throw the ball to, not look. He's got to know where when the ball's coming his way. He's got to know those things ahead of time. Uh, he's cost him a couple of runs at times, and I agree with you. We got to take the good with the bad right now because, man, Ben, there's going to be a lot of good, isn't there? 
There is. I mean, t- tell him to bring Jermaine Dye in. I mean, you're right. That's all for a quarterback. Bring him in. I mean, he was a great defender, okay hitter, but he knew where to go before the ball was even in play. Yeah, and that's what they need to do. Ben, we appreciate the call. And they've worked in the past with Aaron Rowan. And if Aaron Rowan's a guy that's still working with their guys, he should be working with an Eloy Jimenez in the offseason. And he, maybe even a refresher course here or there. Let's go uptown. And Amir, you're on ESPN 1000. Hey, Amir. Hey, guys. Um, I'm going to echo that. Um, I think Eloy's got – I think he'll have time to learn, but also I think he's learning faster than uh, we mostly expected. Um, and I think when we get Tim back at short, things will start looking a lot better. Um, he'll be a little more confident with that kind of depth as well. I think his hitting is great. I mean, the numbers can be better. He just needs to get a little more patient, I think. Um, and we just got to trust the process. I think um, I think we got a great team coming up in the next couple of years. It's going to be incredible. Um, but they just got to find their place. Hey, um, um, like- Amir, you know what surprised me a little bit? I thought he was a better outfielder because of one play. Remember the play he made in the Futures game when he was still a member of the Cubs? He went over. He was playing right field in the Futures game. He went to the sideline, and he made a catch and fell over the fence. I go, this guy can field. This is great. And then we see what he's done this year, and it's like, uh uh-oh, that must have just been a one-off. Well, he's got the tenacity. He wants to to jump for everything. He wants to run, but he's just got to get... Like you said, he just has to learn his ballparks a little more. Um, And I think it's just going to be a little bit of – I've been a little wary of our outfield lately, um, but things have been a bit – things have been a bit hairy. People keep getting hurt. But I don't know. I I think, you know, they're like you guys said, they're young kids. Um, (laughs) Elo is younger than me. I'm I'm a year older than him, and I can't play left like he can. (laughs) So I don't know. I think um, just a little bit of time and hopefully a little better coaching. Yeah. Things will – things will start looking better. Yeah, Amir, appreciate the call. I think you're right, and you think about it. Uh, Tilson and Cordell are guys that you thought would play better defensive outfield. Tilson, you know, has has misread balls numerous times this year. He just got sent back to the minors because he wasn't hitting. And Ryan Cordell, for some reason, and Steve Stone has mentioned it, Cordell, for some reason, likes to dive for balls. He dove for the ball the other day that turned out to be a Whit Merrifield inside the park homer. Uh, we'll get to your calls. We're going to talk a little bit of Bears. Camp starts later this week. We come back here on ESPN 1000. Chicago's Game Day with Fred Hubner on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Welcome back in. Fred Hubner with you. 312-332-3776. You want to talk some Bears football. We talked a lot of baseball. We'll get into some more baseball a little bit later this half hour. Uh, here from the Hall of Famers, Harold Baines, Lee Smith, also here from Mariano Rivera, and uh, going to talk a little bit about what's going on today in Cooperstown. Also, some highlights from the round, the rest of baseball. A lot of big stuff happening yesterday. We'll look at the standings going into today's action. Cubs and White Sox both with afternoon games. The White Sox wrap up their series in Tampa. They look to sweep the Rays. Dylan Cease getting his third start for the Southsiders, and it'll be Kyle Hendricks for the Cubs going against the Padres. Cubs look to sweep San Diego and wrap up an 8-1 homestand before hitting the road going to San Francisco tomorrow. But the Bears, they get underway with practice. Practice starts Friday. Thursday, they report. Today, they're in Decatur holding a press conference. Decatur, where the Bears began their history, where the franchise began. The Decatur Staley's the uh, Chicago Bears celebrating the 100-year anniversary of Bears football. And 
They're holding a press conference down in Decatur today. They will then report to Bourbon A on Thursday. Friday, they begin camp. And you look at it, what is your biggest question going into Bears training camp? And it's funny, Black and Abdallah, we're talking about it again. Don't miss Black and Abdallah, not only on Sundays from 8 to 10, but also several times during the week. They fill in. They were here on Friday night uh, doing the Under the Hood show. Uh, guys do a great job, and they're gearing up for college football. But Mitchell Trubisky, quarterbacks are always going to be a question until they're not anymore. The running game. Wide receiver was a question for the longest time. But I'm looking at my buddy, my pal. I don't know if he'd say I'm his buddy or his pal. But Patrick Finley in uh, the Chicago Sun-Times. He's got unofficial count. A pre-camp look at whom the Bears consider keepers. Who can make a case and who doesn't cut it. And I'm looking here. Remember when the Bears really had like no wide receivers? They had nobody. Nobody could catch the ball. Nobody could run routes. Jay Cutler, had each and every year, had to go on out there with um, a bunch of really bad receivers. Just imagine the one year where they said, hey, Devin Hester's your number one, Johnny Knox your number two. At that point, Jay Cutler could have considered retiring, except for the money that he was making. Uh, what the Bears have now is, at wide receiver, Allen Robinson, Taylor Gabriel, Anthony Miller, Hopefully a healthy Anthony Miller. They go and get Cordero Patterson, who you'll probably see in the backfield quite a bit too. Riley Ridley, the rookie. Javon Wims, who couldn't play many games, but he showed you in camps and in the preseason what he could do. A speedster, Marvin Hall, who's going to be on special teams mostly. Emmanuel Hall. You got a bunch of guys. This is not counting like, you know, your Tanner Gentry's guys from the from the past. But... The Bears don't have a lot of questions. They've got speed. They've added that. Um, the offensive line, they made a move on the offensive line. They have moved James Daniels and Cody Whitehair swap positions. Now, Cody Whitehair, my biggest problem with Cody Whitehair, I've only had one with him, and that is he couldn't shotgun snap. He got better second half of the season last year. But he had so many, you know, Mitchell Trubisky had enough stuff to worry about, where to throw, who, what the defense is. And when he had to worry about where the snap was going to go, that was too much for me. And there were many, many times in the last couple of years where Cody Whitehair's shotgun snaps were not good. James Daniels now moving to the center position and Cody Whitehair moving to guard where he was a guard when he was drafted and when he came to the Bears. That's a good move. I will criticize the Bears and Kyle Long for what happened last year in the final playoff in the game against Philadelphia. And people will tell me I'm wrong, but I was surprised and I said it when it happened. I said it before it happened. I didn't know why the Bears were so quick as soon as Kyle Long could go to move him into the starting lineup at the offensive line position. And when you look at some of the numbers, the analytics, it showed that one of the worst offensive linemen in that game against Philadelphia was Kyle Long. Kyle Long, love him when he's healthy, love his leadership, love what he does in the field. He wasn't ready to come back last year. I was surprised the Bears rushed him back as quick as they did. The other question is when it comes down to defensive coordinator, Vic Fangio gone. 
the Bears will see Vic Fangio early in the season when they travel out to Denver. But now, new offensive or new defensive coordinator. How will this Bears defense be? Will it be different? You're not going to get the number of turnovers you got last year. But you can't predict that. It's just kind of like, okay, you've had 36, whatever it was, turnovers last year. And you're not going to be able to get that this year. Well, I'm sure that they're going to say, let's go on out and try and get the ball. Let's try and get a takeaway here and there. Just because they say, well, you you know, the odds are you're not going to get them again. You can't worry about that. I'm not bringing up the kicker because until the Bears have one that we know their name, that we've seen them kick, then we'll worry about it. It's not going to be Robbie Gold. He signed with San Francisco this week. One of the other questions for me is how are the guys in the secondary going to be able to fill in for what the Bears lost? Chuck Pagano is going to have to figure out how. Ha-ha, Clinton Dix is going to be able to come to the Bears and look as good as he did when he first went to the Packers. And I think playing with Eddie Jackson, a guy he knows well and played with, is going to help. Also, how is Buster Screen going to be able to play as he comes in? Those are the only questions I really have. Bears linebackers all seem to be getting better. Leonard Floyd, keep him healthy. I think he's learned not to lead with his head. As a result, he should be able to play a little bit more. When your outside linebackers are Khalil Mack, Leonard Floyd, and Aaron Lynch, not too shabby. Aaron Lynch has played very, very well when he's out there. Your inside linebackers, Trevathan, Roquan Smith, Nick Kwiatkowski, not bad either. And the line play of Akeem Hicks, he's gotten better each and every year. You got. We want to see guys step up, like Eddie Goldman, stay healthy. Bilal Nichols was amazing last year when he was in there. More time for him in the in the middle is would be a good thing. So I don't have a lot of questions about the Chicago Bears. Now, more questions will pop up. There'll be an injury here in training camp. There will be, you know, a problem of one sort or another, and then we'll have to worry about it. But right now, going into camp. And it's tough. Everyone's going to, everybody wants to make predictions. Well, can the Bears win the Central or the North? I'm sorry. Yeah, sure they can. Are they going to go 12 and 4 again? Well, again, the odds are likely that they won't with the breaks they got last year. But think about it. When they beat the Rams, that wasn't because of breaks. That's because they outplayed the Rams. They outplayed a Rams team that was just running it up against the rest of the NFL. And the Bears were able to figure out a way to beat the Rams and beat them down and beat them down badly. So there's going to be a lot more football talk here on Sundays as the Bears get ready for training camp beginning on Friday. Matt Nagy puts away his baseball glove and now he concentrates on football for, boy, hopefully all the way into the middle of February. That would be nice to see, wouldn't it? A Bears Super Bowl would be a nice little thing. I don't know how the Packers are going to be. The Vikings should be better. The Lions, I'm never going to worry about the Lions unless, except for the weeks the Bears are playing them. There's no other reason to worry about the Lions. And the rest of the NFC, we'll see how the Bears do. A lot of times, teams that have big years, like a 12-4 and record, they'll have a little bit of a drop-off. You don't want to have too much of a drop-off. But I think the over-under on wins is 9.5 for the Bears. That's a pretty good bet, I think. And 
with betting league becoming legal in Illinois. The question is, will we be able to bet on these games when the, the NFL season starts? More and more, it's looking like we're not going to have time. So that's just a little bit of Bears talk. Mitchell Trubisky, you don't believe in him? That's fine. He, Mitchell Trubisky can't change your mind until the start of the season. Mitchell Trubisky can't change your mind until the Packers game on that Thursday to open the NFL season. So, you know, we can go back, and I'm sure we will. Each and every show, we'll talk about, will Mitchell Trubisky take the next step? We're all guessing until we see him on the field against the Packers on that Thursday evening at Soldier Field. So, like I said, it's, uh, predictions are tough. Guesses are even more difficult. But if you get a chance, read Patrick Findlay today in the Sun-Times. He breaks it down each and every position. I didn't even mention the running back position. How much is David Montgomery going to carry the load for the Bears? What's Tariq Cohen going to do? Kareeth White, is he going to make the team and we're going to see him play? He's a guy that was drafted late by the Bears. And you look at some of his highlights, the guy was an amazing player in college. What's going to happen? Not sure. So that's that's my, my, my little Bears talk for the day today. Usually I stick to to baseball and a little bit of soccer at the end of the show, but I wanted to throw some Bears chatter in because next week when I'm here on Sundays, we'll already be a couple days into Bears practice. We'll have a lot to talk about. We'll hear from some of the Bears and go from there. Today in Cooperstown, if you've never been to Cooperstown, New York, and I've been to Cooperstown, if you've never been to Cooperstown, New York, it's a quaint little town. And we stayed at a bed and breakfast, my wife and I did, and I... She came to the Hall of Fame with me. That actually repays me for all the times I've gone to craft shows and Sally's Beauty and all those kind of things with her. So she went to the Hall of Fame with me. And she was probably bored for an hour and a half, two hours. And uh, I enjoyed it. I was expecting more. I thought it was more of the field museum as opposed to the Museum of Science and Industry. I wanted more interactive stuff. And I think slowly but surely, since the time I went, the Baseball Hall of Fame's doing it. Walking down a hall reading plaques is my idea of a fun time. Um, not that I don't like reading. But, um, you know, seeing the players that go into the Hall of Fame, there was so much talk and so much controversy about the veterans putting in Lee Smith. Not so much Lee Smith. Uh, criticism or complaints, but Harold Baines getting in. I've watched all of Harold Baines' career with the White Sox, and I never once watched him play and thought I was watching a Hall of Famer. Listen, they put him in. It wasn't Harold that said, hey, I got to go into the Hall of Fame. He came up. Uh, Jerry Reinsdorf made a push for him. He got voted in. Tony LaRussa stood up for him big time. Obviously, LaRussa did a lot for him. And Harold Baines going into the Hall of Fame yesterday, all the players were in Cooperstown, talked to the gathered media in New York, and Harold Baines talking about his career when it started as the White Sox drafted him. He comes to the White Sox. He talked about what it was like when he first got here and getting out of a small town, what it was like for him to become the player he was. You always have somebody good in a small town like I grew up. But when you get to the other competitions, it's different. You know, when I played American Legion, it was tougher. But in my town, yeah, I probably wasn't a better, better player. But you got to get better as you go along. Unfortunately, I got drafted very young and able to hone my craft. It told me to reduce very early in my career, which which helped me get up the ladder. We still had to produce, but he the knowledge that he gave me helped me a lot. I mean, I was a kid that didn't have anything. 
I needed a glove, they gave me a glove. I needed shoes, they gave me shoes. If I needed a ride to the game, they gave me a ride. So that's it's a close-knit, close-knit community that um, I still live there. So that's, that could tell you something right there. And I think a lot of people don't even realize that, too. Some of the players go to your go to college for three years and then get drafted, and they're you know more well-set. They know how to act in a big city and you see Harold Baines, a kid that was drafted, and like he said, didn't have a glove, didn't have this, didn't have that, but he played baseball. He could play baseball, and he was a great baseball player. He's not a Hall of Famer in my opinion, but he's going into the Hall of Fame today, and I'm happy for Harold Baines. And you've got to be happy for the guy going in. What he did with the White Sox during a during a downtime for the White Sox, but the one Harold Baines story I have, and I mentioned this with Murph yesterday. Fred and Murph, Murph and Fred, each and every Saturday from 9 till noon. Harold Baines hit three homers in a game that I was at. I was covering it for Sports Phone, 976-1313 back in the day. And after the game, everybody surrounds Harold Baines' locker. And, Harold, uh, what about those uh, three home runs? And he said, just doing my job. That was Harold Baines. That was about the longest cut you're going to get out of him. He never talked much. He uh, talked softly and carried a big stick. One heck of a hitter from the left-hand side. But I was not, you know, I was there looking for a nice quote that we could have run on sports phone. And, yep, just doing my job. And, again, I told Murph this yesterday. I've said it for years. My math was, you know, I learned math growing up and going to Our Lady of the Mountain, Cicero, and Morton East, and algebra and geometry and i just couldn't figure out quick enough how many three homers times 162 games was because if that's if he was just doing his job then he should hit like 460 or 480 or whatever home runs a season uh you know it was kind of frustrating for me wanting him to get to say something and harold just to say i was just doing my job but that's what harold baines did he came to work on a daily basis and did his job and for the longest time, he was one heck of a player for the White Sox as a right fielder, as a DH. He never seemed to be moving fast, but he'd always seem to get to the ball. And that was Harold Baines for the White Sox. He goes into the Hall of Fame. Also going into the Hall of Fame is Lee Smith. Lee Smith was a guy who talked a lot. He did take a lot of time to get to the mound. When Lee Smith got called in from the bullpen, even though the bullpen was not far from the Cubs dugout, you could have ran a two- or three-minute commercial before Lee Smith got there. He took his time, and he knew that while he was walking to the mound, the opposition was worried because they were going to have to face Lee Smith. And this was before a lot of lights, before lights at Wrigley Field, and Lee Smith struck him out. Lee Smith was very, very good. Lee Smith talks about growing up and working on how he became such a pinpoint pitcher. Listen to this story he tells about him and his brother. Me and my, my brothers, we always would have this mailbox out in front of my house, and we'd be throwing at the mailbox. He was throwing at the mailbox. I was throwing at the flag. You know, so that was the one thing I wanted to model myself on, having good control. I mean, that was the one thing. I, I always loved pitching. My brothers loved it because they love hitting, and I was pitching. I never wanted to hit. I always heard about, you know, the guy that's the all-time save leader, not in the Hall of Fame, and then, and then you hear about getting 50% of the votes and not getting in, things like that, and only a couple guys. Nothing I could control. Thank God for the guys now that did the voting. You know, Alamar and Joe Torre and all those guys actually played the game. Those guys understand what it takes. Yeah, Lee Smith, he goes into the Hall of Fame today. And you look here uh, in the Sun-Times. Again, I buy the Sun-Times. 
uh, each and every day. Mariano Rivera, the all-time saves leader. He's going into the Hall of Fame today. 652 saves. Second is Trevor Hoffman. He's gone in. 601 saves. Third on the list. When he retired, he was number one on the list of all-time saves. Third on the list is Lee Smith at 478 saves. Now, Lee Smith didn't get your simple saves. Lee Smith got a two-inning two save. He was out there for as long as he was needed to get a save and to preserve a Cubs victory. And he didn't get any of those easy saves. He didn't get any of those one-out. I'm sure he got some of those one-out saves, but that's not what Lee Smith did. And it's great to see a guy like Lee Smith go in. It's interesting because a lot of people were critical of Harold Baines getting in, but nobody was critical of Lee Smith. And they shouldn't be. Lee Smith deserved to go into the Hall of Fame. Should have been there years ago. Another guy that also should be in the Hall of Fame is Dick Allen. But that's never going to happen at this point. Um, But the way the Veterans Committee goes and the way all these other things happen, maybe it'll happen sometime soon. But as a baseball fan, as a person growing up watching the White Sox play in 1972, nobody hit a baseball harder than Dick Allen. If they had launch angle and miles per hour off the bat being able to go back and check some of the swings that dick allen had i can't imagine many people would have numbers any higher than his i never saw a guy hit ball a ball harder than his he would hit balls off the right field wall line drives it wouldn't they wouldn't go more than 10 feet off the ground and he's the guy that's not in the hall of fame one more hall of famer that's going in today the other guys mike Mussina going in today edgar martinez uh, one heck of a designated hitter for Seattle going in. And also going in is Roy Halladay. And you all remember Halladay's outing in the playoffs. But another guy going in is Mariano Rivera. And Rivera was on that list, all-time saves leader, 652. And he talked yesterday in Cooperstown. His, his teammates weren't happy, but he talked about teaching Roy Halladay his cutter. You know, when you have a whole uh, all-star games, you always chip shot with the guys and uh, changing some, you know, success. And they're just talking. And uh, uh, I was talking with Holiday, and he told me how he asked me how I throw the quarter and uh, I teach him. And, uh, you know, he did good. My guys got mad at me <laughs> because, I mean, I teach him. But it's all right. You know, that, that's part of me. Yeah, it was okay. He taught Roy Halladay the cutter. It's a shame Halladay not around. He's going into the Hall of Fame along with Lee Smith, Harold Baines, and the others I mentioned, Mucina and um, Edgar Martinez. So the Hall of Fame inductions today in Cooperstown. Here's my rant about the Hall of Fame. Baseball does a lot of things wrong. A lot of things wrong. And they're trying to promote their game, and they're trying to get more young people to enjoy their game. But you look at it, the Hall of Fame inductions are today. The Hall of Fame inductions, as a matter of fact, are going on right now. Okay? There's baseball to be played in 40 minutes. The first games in baseball start 40 minutes from now. And it's ridiculous to have the Hall of Fame inductions this during the season. If you're going to do it, do it during the All-Star break. Do it right before the season. Do it right after the World Series. But don't do it in the middle of the year on a Sunday when there's games going on. Completely ridiculous. Major League Baseball, sometimes they just don't know how to get out of their own way. Now, it's supposedly getting better. They're working on getting the robot umpires, and that's going to happen. 
And if I hear one more person say, well, you know, if a ball hits the ground and bounces over the plate, the robot ump is still going to see it go over the knees and call it a strike. Let me ask you a question. In your history of watching baseball, how many times have you seen a ball bounce in front of the plate and come in knee high and get called for a strike? I'm waiting. Never. Never is the answer. So, you know, it's people say, well, maybe the ball that just hooks in front of the plate and just grabs in the zone, maybe it's going to be... It's got to be better than the umpires now. I, I saw a game yesterday. I can't remember now if it was a Cub game or the White Sox game because I watched so much damn baseball. I was telling my wife I'm explaining it to her, and she's looking at me again with that look like, I don't care. Why are you telling me this? And I'm, I'm trying to explain to myself and say it to myself. There's a pitch, a three, let's see, it was a three-ball, one-strike pitch, a three-and-one pitch, and the ball is clearly outside, and the umpire calls it a strike. Now it's three and two. So instead of the guy being at first base and an inning being continued, it was a, it was a Tampa uh, Rays player because it was a White Sox pitcher. Giolito, he threw a ball. It was a ball. They called it a strike. It was outside the box. And they called it a strike. It should have been ball four, another man on. Instead, it's now three and two. Giolito throws a pitch. The guy swings wildly. Strikes out. Now, the way that changes is the batter worked a 3-1 count. The batter took a ball for a walk, but the umpire called it wrong. Now the batter's aggravated. Now the batter's a little thrown off his game. Now the batter's flustered. Swings at a bad pitch. What happens? Sox get out of an inning. Good for the White Sox, but that player, he didn't do anything wrong. If I hear one more time David Kaplan or anybody say, well, I like I liked the human element, human error. No, human error is for the players to make, not the arbiters or the umpires or the referees. That's why you get the call correct. That's why robot umpires, robo-ups, robo-strike zones have to be put into the game quicker than two to three years from now. How many other players or umpires are going to miss calls that are going to change games, get people to lose their jobs. Who knows? This guy might go into a funk now because he gets thrown off his game because of that one pitch. Get the calls correct, and Major League Baseball can do it. They got to do it, and they got to do it soon. We come back. Some highlights from around Major League Baseball. The open updates brought to you by Geneva National, home to 54 legendary holes of golf by Arnold Palmer, Gary Player, Lee Trevino at GenevaNationalResort.com. Right now, Shane Lowry, 15 under par through 12, four better than Tommy Fleetwood. They are both way ahead of Tony Finau and Lee Westwood. Um, Five holes remaining. See how it goes. Shane Lowry with a four-shot lead at the Open Championship. We come back, some baseball highlights. We'll look at the standings, the wild card standings going into today's games, and also some soccer. Hopefully this rain stops tonight because there's going to be a lot of people out at SeatGeek Stadium this evening. We'll talk about that. Your call is 312-332-3776 on ESPN 1000. Chicago's Game Day with Fred Hubner on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. 
Welcome back in. A little wet out today. Hopefully it stops raining by tonight. Big soccer game tonight uh, at SeatGeek Stadium. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. But wrapping up some baseball talk for the show. And I like to do this each and every week because, you know, Saturdays are busy. You're at the Pitchfork concert. You're at the Cubs game. You're out drinking. You're doing stuff. Look at this. Cleveland Indians fans walking around. Boston Red Sox fans walking around town trying to stay dry. Well, I like to play some highlights that you may have missed around baseball from the night before. You love this guy for the home run derby. Vlad Guerrero hitting for Toronto. And uh, he lit one up. So after a strikeout to start the inning, Kirby Soto gives up single, double walk, and now he's loaded the bases. Pitched himself right into a jam. There's a deep drive to left field. Get up, Bob. Get out of here. And how about a grand slam for Vladdy Guerrero? His first career grand slam, and he got a good pitch to hit. And look at the Blue Jay fans standing and applauding. And I would, too. Yeah, the Blue Jays fans standing and applauding. The ball was hit at Detroit. Toronto goes on to a 7-5 win. Highlights courtesy of Toronto TV. Vlad Guerrero, guy, swings at everything, and uh, he shows it pays off. How about the Dodgers? The Dodgers yesterday had a weird game. They had a six-run lead. They blew the lead. They came back. They actually win the game over Miami. One of the reasons they win, Cub fans know this guy. And a lot of other people are starting to know him. He's a rookie. His name is Matt Beatty. He lives for these kinds of moments. And it's cliche to say that. But Matt Beatty's been thinking about delivering in big moments at the big league level since he was seven or eight years old. Hitting every day with his dad in the batting cage. He's a clutch-hitting robot. To answer your question, Joe, nope. Highlights courtesy Dodgers TV. Matt Beatty with a pinch hit. Three-run home run. Now, when you talk about home runs on the West Coast, this guy just keeps on hitting them. Best player in the game, Mike Trout. And that is drilled out the deep left field. Got a chance to get out. It does. Big fly for Mike Trout. A three-run shot. 6-2 Halos. It wouldn't be Seattle without Trout hitting a home run here at T-Mobile Park. Trout drills the ball into left center field. Trout a here. He took him deep right there. That's three more runs on the board, courtesy of Trout, and the Angels now lead it 6-2. to two. And the Angels win by that count, 6-2. to two. Highlights courtesy Fox Sports West and KLAA, 8.30 a.m. As it was Trout a here, and uh, that's the call. He's got a lot of homers to say it with. Jackie Bradley went deep, not once, but twice. Jackie Bradley Jr. batting, runners in the corners. And he hits one high and well. Left center field to the track near the wall. This ball is gone. Three run Jack, Jackie Bradley Jr. And as Joe has been telling you all year, when he hits the ball to left, good things seem to happen. He did not wait around to launch that baby. Down the line it goes, hooked into the corner. And that ball is gone. He has hit another one out. Jackie Bradley for the second time tonight. He has ripped another three-run homer. Jackie Bradley Jr. 
with six RBIs tonight on two swings. Yeah, that's just two swings. He drove in six, but a lot of people for Boston did well as they knocked off the Orioles 17 to 6 yesterday. Highlights courtesy Red Sox TV. Now, Peter Alonzo, they didn't play Peter Alonzo. They were going to give this kid a rest, but they figured out oh, what the heck. Let him uh, take a swing. So two on and two out, and now Alonzo comes up to pinch it for Lockett. Pete getting the day off today. First game he hasn't started since late May. Alonzo deep to right center. Forget that. That ball's going to sail out of here. A three-run pinch hit home run for Pete Alonzo. And the Mets have blown the doors off. It's now 8-1 to New York. Oh, it got a lot worse than that. 11-4 to the final as the Mets beat San Francisco. WPIX Mets TV with the highlight. And you may have missed this one late last night. I went to bed a little bit early and uh, the game was still... Uh, in favor of Arizona. Arizona actually had a lead over Milwaukee, but Mike Moustakas changed that. Bullpen keeping the Brewers right in the fight. 2-0 pitch. Moustakas a drive deep to left field. LeCastro going back, and that's gone! Opposite field shot for Mike Moustakas as the Brewers grab the lead in the eighth. Yeah, that's what they do best. They hit the homers. And once again, Moustakas cashing in against a lefty on a 2-0 pitch. Yeah, Mike Moustakas cashes in. He hits the home run, and the Brewers go on to a 5-3 lead. Highlights courtesy of Milwaukee TV. And uh, let's take a look at the standings as we begin the Sunday of baseball action. Uh, first, in the Cubs division, the NL Central. The week started, the Cubs had a half-game lead in their division after the All-Star break. And what happens? They now have a three-game lead over the Milwaukee Brewers um, with today's games to be played. The Cardinals are three-and-a-half back. The Pirates and the Reds, it's not been good weeks for them as the Pirates are now seven-and-a-half back. The Reds are nine games back. They were just four-and-a-half games back a week or so ago. And now nine games off the pace out of the Cincinnati Reds. In the NL East, the Atlanta Braves hold a five-and-a-half game lead over the Nationals. The Phillies, seven-and-a-half back. And then the Mets and Marlins come up the uh, last two teams in the East. The Marlins will be in town playing the White Sox beginning tomorrow. And uh, the White Sox also will have the uh, netting all the way down the lines as the White Sox return home after their trip in Tampa later on today. In the NL West... The Dodgers are 31 games over 500. They have a 653 winning percentage. Only team better than that is the Yankees. We'll get to them in a second. So the Dodgers have a 15 game lead over Arizona. Arizona's a game over 500. Then the Giants, Rockies, and Padres. The Giants are a game under 500. We'll look at the wild card standings in a second. In the American League, the Yankees, as I mentioned, they're 64 and 33. They have a 660 winning percentage. They've opened up a 10-game lead over the Tampa Bay Rays. That was close for a while. And then right before the White Sox played the Rays, the Rays lost the doubleheader to the Yankees on Thursday. And the White Sox had beaten the Yank or the Rays two games in a row down in Tampa. So the Yankees lead over the Rays is 10, Boston 11 back, then Toronto and Baltimore. In the Central... How about the Twins? They had such a huge lead over the Indians. Everybody was surprised. Look, today on a Sunday morning, that lead is just three games. The Twins, four and six in their last ten. The Indians have won seven of their last ten and pulled within three games of the Twins. The White Sox, 
44 and 51, seven games under the 500 mark, 14 games out. Then the Royals and the Tigers bring up the rear. And I got some Tigers news in a second for you. In the West, the Houston Astros have a five and a half game lead over the hard charging A's. The A's have won two in a row, but it's tough to catch Houston. They've won four straight. The Astros five and a half up. The Rangers now have dropped to 12 games back with the Angels 12 games back, and then the Mariners bringing up the rear. They are 23 and a half games back. Really quickly looking at the wild card standings. First in the American League, the Indians and the A's are the two wild card teams with Tampa Bay two games back of them. Boston three back, Texas and the Angels six and a half back. White Sox are 11 back in the wild card standings. Pointless to even say that. Uh, in the National League, the Nationals and Brewers are your wild card teams right now. The Cardinals and Phillies are a half game back. The Arizona Diamondbacks a game and a half back. And the Giants are just two and a half back in the wild card standings in the National League. So quite a race in the wild card for the NL as we go down the stretch. Be real interesting. A week from today, we'll be just four days away from the trading deadline. See if any deals are made before that. And by the way, I'm looking here and I see a guy that is a veteran Detroit News sports writer. He's covered the Pistons, the Wings, the Lions, and now, mercifully, the Tigers. That is what it says on his Twitter. His name is Chris McCoskey. And Chris reports, 46 minutes ago, that the Cubs are among the team showing interest in right fielder Nick Castellanos. They probably want to move Jason Hayward to center, add Castellanos, right-handed bat, and right. This one has some teeth. So, Cub fans, you looking for Theo to make a move for a hitter? As you go to the trade deadline, Nick Castellanos is a good one. That would be a really nice move for the Cubs. Question is, what would the Cubs move to Detroit? If you're not, Hayward's not going anywhere, so probably you would move Almora and someone else. Detroit might ask for Kyle Schwarber, who you can move in as a DH right away. What are your thoughts, Cub fan Felix? Maybe Ian Happ? Yeah, <laughs> I know his value isn't that high, but they'll probably just ask yeah. him to throw him in there, right? Why not? Well, try to squeeze what you can out of that. Yeah, I mean, for Castellanos, you can probably get more than that. So they're. Gonna... I like Castellanos, and he's only twenty-seven. I was looking yeah. at too, so he's, he's a good hitter, consistent hitter. Yeah, he, he'll be nice up. He'll be nice up here for he sure. He would. That's actually the first time I had heard that one. Um, you know, a lot of people have been talking Whit Merrifield, Whit Merrifield. Everybody wants Whit Merrifield, um, but. You know, a, a guy like that would really help help solidify your uh, your outfield. I'm not sure how he is defensively, but uh, you would have, you know, you'd have Hayward in center field to help out and make up a little bit. Uh, so that's something to keep an eye on, but a lot more talk about that next week. Again, the lineups for today really quickly as we're going to get to soccer quickly in the next shortened segment. But uh, the Cubs, Kyle Schwarber in left, Baez at short. Chris Bryant at third base, Rizzo's at first, Robel Garcia second base, Jason Hayward starts in right with Albert Almora in center, Martin Maldonado catching, and Kyle Hendricks on the hill. The Padres pitcher is Adrian Morjan. Uh, he is making his major league debut. He's 20 years old, has yet to pitch past double A. He's 0-4 with a 425 in 16 starts with just 36 innings pitched so far this season. So um, we'll see if the Cubs can beat up on this young guy. The White Sox, Lurie Garcia, Yuan Moncada, uh, Abreu at first, McCann catching, Castillo DHing, then Rondon at short, Sanchez at second, 
Adam Engel, who's got uh, four hits in the last two games in center. Ryan Cordell is in right field. Dylan Cease making another start for the White Sox. It's Dylan Cease Day. Not nearly as exciting as it was the day he opened against uh, the Cubs at Wrigley Field. Or, I'm sorry, at uh, Guaranteed Rate Field. Uh, we come back, some soccer talk. Hopefully this rain will lighten up a little bit. And there was some awful, awful stuff happening in Philadelphia last night. We'll talk about that and much more. Fred Hubner with you. You want to jump on quickly? Eh, I don't know if I have time or not, but 312-332-3776 on ESPN 1000. Chicago's Game Day with Fred Hubner on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Welcome on in. Wrapping things up here. Talk a lot of baseball, a little bit of football, a lot more football to come as the Bears get into uh, training camp. They check in on Thursday and uh, they will practice their first practice on a Friday down in Bourbon A. Only eight practices open to the public. You got to get your uh, tickets. They're free on uh, chicagobears.com. Go there and get them. Get on out and see the Bears in a training camp. A big soccer game tonight, 5 o'clock at SeatGeek Stadium. The Chicago Red Stars from the NWSL uh, are playing the North Carolina Courage. Why is this a big game? Well, the women from the Women's World Cup are back with their teams. And uh, the Chicago Red Stars will have Julie Ertz, Alyssa Nair, Tierna Davidson and Morgan Bryan all back as they take on the North Carolina Courage, who have four of their own, four four women on on their squad, who also played for the Women's World Cup. The parking lot opens at 2 o'clock for tailgating. The gates open at 3.30. 5 o'clock start. Now, earlier in the week, the the owner of the Red Stars announced that the game was a sellout because they were not selling upper deck. There's a upper deck on the west side of SeatGeek Stadium. They had sold everything else. 16,500 tickets sold. And as of yesterday, they opened up the tickets for the upper deck. So there's a really good chance they'll sell out the entire building today. And it's going to be great to see for soccer. If I'm not mistaken, the game later on tonight, and I just put my newspaper away, the game tonight is, for those who can't make it out there, is on NBC Sports Chicago at uh, 5 o'clock. Let me double check. I can check these things really quickly because the newspaper has it right there. Um, actually, yes, NBC Sports Chicago and ESPN2. The game is on ESPN2 today, 5 o'clock. The Red Stars taking on the North Carolina Courage. So get on out there if you have a ticket. Have fun, stay dry. That's what soccer is supposed to be, full houses. And that's something the Chicago Fire has been unable to do. You win and you draw people. You play and win the World Cup, people are going to come out and see you. And that's what happens. The Chicago Fire made the announcement a week or so ago, $65.5 million to get out of their deal with SeatGeek Stadium. And the official announcement's not been made yet, but they're working on playing their games next year at Soldier Field. And hopefully, if they do play at Soldier Field next year, they'll have better games than they've had of late. The Chicago Fire of late, and I've watched them for years and years since they started, they've won one of their last 11 games in Major League Soccer. That's right, one of their last 11. They are 0-8-3 on the road. Yesterday, they lose to the Philadelphia Union, a final score of 2 to nothing. Um, the Chicago Fire over the last three games have lost to some of the worst teams in Major League Soccer, and I guess that's unfortunately puts them also in that list. Um, 
Marco Fabian and Anthony Fontana scoring yesterday for Philadelphia. The Chicago Fire had opportunities. It's been so frustrating to watch the Chicago Fire play this year. Opportunities. A ball off the post. Headers from C.J. Sapong just saved right at the goalie yesterday, at the goalkeeper yesterday. So frustrating. The Fire, not sure what's going to happen the rest of this year. Not sure what's going to happen when this year is over. But yesterday, after the match, Grant Lillard talked to the media and Brant Pratico. There was no Velko Potovic comments after the game, which was interesting when you lose a game to have the coach not talk. So, just one win in their last 11 matches. They actually play in a League Cup game against Cruz Azul at SeatGeek Stadium on Tuesday as the MLS and Liga MX are, have a tournament that gets underway on Tuesday. And then next Saturday, Wayne Rooney and D.C. United at SeatGeek Stadium Saturday at 7 o'clock. So two games for the fire at SeatGeek Stadium this week. Get on out there if you're a soccer fan. Fred Hubner with you. Thanks to Felix Reyes for all of his help. You guys stay dry. Talk to you during the week right here on ESPN 1000.